0: Our reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 4, which can be found on page 968 of the Church Bibles. Matthew chapter 4, starting to read at verse 12. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he returned to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfil what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way to the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men at once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all those who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralysed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you that as we gather this morning and we open your scriptures, we can be confident that we will hear your voice. You will speak. And so we pray, Heavenly Father, you give us ears to hear and hearts that are willing to change. And we pray this in the precious name of your Son. Amen. Amen. Good, Matthew chapter 4. Now I wonder, I wonder how easy you find it to admit you're wrong. How quick are you to say sorry to a spouse, a friend, a colleague, a child... Uh, We we laugh at small children, don't we, when um, they just simply refuse to say sorry. They squirm and they squirm and squirm. They don't want to utter the words, I'm sorry, and eventually they force it out through gritted teeth. And yet, nothing really changes as we get older, does it? If we're honest, we probably just find it even harder. Whether you're in Pathfinders or you're, you're in your 90s, we... We spend much of our time, or much time, convincing ourselves and others that we're right. It's amazing, isn't it, the way we can, the ways we can find to convince ourselves that what we did or said was okay. Uh, Admitting faults, saying sorry, and acknowledging our needs to change is, for many of us, it's a last resort. I wonder how easy you find it to follow someone else. To lay down your rights to dictate the terms. To allow someone else to decide what you can and can't do. To allow someone else to set the agenda. If you're like me, that can be something that we find hard because, well, I want to be in charge, I want to be in control, I want to be king. In my world. In our passage today, Jesus gives two very, very simple commands. Very, very simple commands. He says, Repent. Come. Follow me. Repent, it's the idea of turning around, turning away from sin and turning to Christ. It's very simple, but it involves admitting we're wrong, acknowledging our failures saying sorry, and then seeking to live differently. Come, follow me. It's to follow Christ is to recognise that we are not king, but Jesus is. To, To follow him is to entrust ourselves to him in faith. Submit to his teaching and follow his example. And I don't think we find either of those things easy because, well, they rub up against our pride. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not yet a Christian. And perhaps the thing that stops you turning to Christ and following him is that you're concerned about what you might have to change as a result. What you might have to give up. What you might have to do differently. And you're just not sure you're ready to do that. You want to be king. Over the first few chapters of his Gospel, Matthew has been showing us clearly that Jesus is God's promised king. And through King Jesus, God is establishing his kingdom. A kingdom established by Christ's saving work. On a cross. And and the kingdom is a theme that goes all the way through Matthew's gospel. And this morning we're going to think about um, three aspects of that kingdom the dawn of the kingdom, the call of the kingdom, and the spread of the kingdom. So, firstly, then, the dawn of the kingdom. Any any geography graduates in the house? Anyone do colouring in for a degree? A couple of people willing to admit that. Um, now, not all of us are geography fans, but sometimes geography is important. And when Matthew uh, mentions the places that he does in these verses, he does so for a reason. In fact, the significance of these verses is hidden in the geography. So I'm going to show you a map. Okay? Here we go. This is um, the roughly the Israel area. Now, What I've realised over the past week is that between verse 11 and verse 12 of Matthew chapter 4, there is a time gap. Okay, There is a gap, possibly of about a year. And in that time, Jesus does quite a lot. So, Jesus is baptised by John, with our little red is around Bethany. And then, he heads out uh, to the Judean countryside, somewhere around there, maybe, To be tempted by the devil, which is what we were hearing about last week. He then goes up to Galilee, so he calls the disciples. The first meets disciples back down south, and then he takes them up to Galilee, and that's where in John chapter two we have the wedding of Cana. And then he goes back down to Jerusalem for the Passover. And that's where we get um, Jesus going to the temple and kicking over all the tables. Then, we read in John chapter 3 that Jesus goes back out into the Judean countryside, where we re- see that John, is, John the Baptist is still preaching. And then at some point around then, John is in prisons, and so Jesus decides to head back to Galilee via Samaria, which is where in John chapter 4. He sees the Samaritan woman. Now, why is all that stuff not in Matthew's Gospel? Why does he miss all that stuff out? Well, it's not that Matthew doesn't think it's important, but it's just that Matthew wants to highlight the significance of what's about to happen now in our passage in Matthew 4. And the significance of the moment is all about the geography So you look down in verse 13. We see these two places, Zebulun and Naphtali. Naphtali. Now this, the area of Galilee up north, was mostly comprised of those two tribes of Israel, two of the most northerly tribes. And the area up north was very different to southern Israel, of Jerusalem and Judea. Galilee was known as the Galilee of the Gentiles, verse 15, or the Galilee of the Nations, It lacked the religious and ceremonial structures that so dominated the South, and therefore, when it came to knowing God, it was a place of darkness, of ignorance. And yet, it's here, in Galilee of the Nations of darkness, that the dawning of the kingdom begins just as Isaiah prophesied. Look at Isaiah's prophecy, verse 15. A land of Zebulun, a land of Naphtali, the way to the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. Of those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. I wonder what your um, most memorable or magical sunrise experience has been. Uh, For mine, it was probably in in Peru. There's a little country drop. And um, when I uh, was at university, I I travelled on South America for a few months and we did the Inca Trail. And uh, we trekked for three days. And the third night, you camp at altitude. It's really cold. And then uh, the next day, you get up really early before sunrise and you do the final little ascent and descent down into Machu Picchu. And the whole idea is that you get there in time to see the sunrise rise over Machu Picchu. It's wonderful. It's glorious. And that's what sunrises are like. You know that moment when you get up early in the morning and you see the sunrise, it's beautiful. They fill us with hope and optimism for the day ahead. And Isaiah uses that picture of this moment of Jesus' ministry. You see, John the Baptist's imprisonment marks the moment that the baton, the relay baton of the preaching of the good news of the kingdom of God is passed on to Jesus. And as Jesus begins that ministry, the the establishment, the setting up of God's kingdom is so close, it's as though it's dawning. The warm-up act has finished, and now the main act takes the stage, and the stage, the surprising stage, is the darkness of Galilee. And Jesus begins his ministry. And what was his message? Well, verse 17, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. God's king has arrived. The light of God's kingdom has dawned and the only response before God is humble repentance. And repentance for us begins with recognising that without Christ you... You, we live in darkness. I, I don't know about you, but one of the reasons that I find it so hard to say sorry and uh, acknowledge my wrongdoing before others is because I feel shame. And to acknowledge our needs of change is to, well, it's to accept our weakness. It's to have our failures exposed. And it's no different when it comes to our repentance before God, see, so we need to remind ourselves that Jesus and his kingdom isn't for people who have it all sorted. It's for those who are in darkness. I, um, I remember one old saint um, who's now gone to be with Jesus, uh, a lovely, lovely man. And um, he would never take communion. Never take communion. Um, and I found out that he would never take it because he never felt worthy to receive it. And as I reflected on that, I thought, you know, there's a man with such a humble, recognitional and awareness of the darkness in his heart and life. And then I thought, but well, what a shame. What a shame, because communion, the Lord's Supper, is an act of remembrance of the King who came to save those in darkness and bring them into the kingdom of light. People just like him. Communion was for him. This morning and always, don't let the mess of your heart and life stop you coming to Jesus in repentance, whether that's the first time or the 10,000th time. He came for those in darkness. One of the things that will stop us repenting before God, both initially and continually, is when we forget that but for the grace of God, we would still be in darkness. And we're too proud to admit our wrongs. Why did the kingdom dawn in Galilee and not Jerusalem? Well, because Jerusalem was full of religious types. People who wouldn't recognise... They are in the dark, and so would never see their need of repentance. And the kingdom of God isn't for them. When we uh, come before God in confession and repentance every Sunday, maybe daily, we remind ourselves that we fall short of God's requirements. We remind ourselves that but for God's grace we would still be in darkness. So when you say the confession, don't just speak the words like some kind of mantra. Use those words to confess and repent before God, to throw yourself upon his grace. We said in the confession this morning, didn't we? Uh, We know our faults well and our sins hang heavy upon us. Do you feel that? Because that's what it looks like to be in darkness. Only... We don't stay there. We are, in Jesus, justified. We are, have our sin removed. We will be clean. Wash us, and we will be whiter than snow. It is God's grace and God's grace alone that brings us into the kingdom of light. And we remind ourselves of that every Sunday. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Secondly then, the call of the kingdom. Now the next events that Matthew describes for us are by the Sea of Galilee. Just follow with me, verse 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. And once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two older brothers, James, son, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing the nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boats and their father and followed him. Now, I wonder if you've ever read those verses, or heard a sermon on those verses, and uh, just felt really guilty afterwards. I mean, it's a guilt-inducing passage, isn't it? Jesus approaches these guys, the sort of salt-of-the-earth blokes, and he just says to them, follow me. And they go, yeah, we're in. Leave the nets, jump up and go and follow him. Leave behind their livelihoods. And we're told, you know, be like them. And, and we think, I can never do that. And then we feel guilty, we feel bad for not being willing to follow their example perhaps that's the thing that even puts us off following, um, becoming a christian is that jesus seems to ask us to leave behind everything well before we get thinking like that we just need to remind ourselves of a couple of things and th- the first thing is that this isn't the first time that jesus has met the disciples okay it might be the first time that matthew records jesus meeting them but it's not the first time they met him remember our map Here we go, okay. Now, in John chapter 1, Jesus meets two of the disciples, and where does he meet them? Well, he meets them down here. He meets them when John was baptising, and he invites them to spend a day with him. He then spends, spends a day with them, and then he invites them back up to Galilee, and they go with him. And it's likely that some of the disciples will have spent time with jesus on and off for about a year so jesus invitation in matthew isn't some sort of pre-telephone equivalent of a cold call no jesus the disciples response to jesus is a considered response to his authority when jesus called these guys to follow him They knew they had to listen because of who he was. They haven't fully understood, but they know enough to trust him and listen to him. Now, uh, Jesus' calling of the disciples is unique. They had a, a unique foundational role in being used by God to spread the good news of the kingdom of God, and they were called to leave behind everything. Jesus called to us, to follow him probably won't involve us doing those things. It might do, but it probably won't. But Jesus does expect us to give our whole lives to him. No area of our lives is not to be submitted to his loving rule. Come, follow me. I I wonder, what crowds out Jesus in your life? Is he essential to everything or does he just get given the scraps, the scraps of your time, your money, your energy that you have when the rest of life is done? Is retirement about finally enjoying your time or is it about serving God in his time? It's talking about Jesus with your kids, limited to the ten minutes before bed when homework and clubs and teeth are done. Or is it central to everything? Pathfinders, I think there's a few in here this morning. Are you happy to follow Jesus at school as well as home and church? wonder what stops us following Jesus. What would you not be willing to give up for him? Over the next uh, few weeks and Sunday mornings, we're going to be looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And we will read and hear... A moral ethic that is so countercultural and alien to much of our society. And to follow Christ in his teaching will mean we stand out, possibly stand out a mile. And it could be costly. We'll we'll hear Jesus laying down the ethical standards for those who follow him. And if we're honest, there will probably be bits that we're a bit reluctant to follow. Because it might feel too hard too uncomfortable, too costly. But as we recognise who Jesus is, as we see his loving rule and his kingdom authority, how can we not follow him and surrender everything to him? For he is God's king. Uh, The more you get to know him, the easier that will become. The disciples spend a day with him, then they travel around with him, you know, don't be surprised if you find yourself reluctant to follow Christ when the only time that you speak to him or hear from him is on a Sunday. The call of the kingdom is this call is not a call to obey a load of rules or to live good lives, it's the call to follow a person, a king. It's a relationship with a saviour who loves you enough to bring you from darkness into light. Kingdom living flows from following the king. Don't ever divorce those two things. The call of the kingdom, come follow me. And finally, the spread of the kingdom. Uh, Good news travels fast, doesn't it? I know they didn't have Facebook or Twitter or social media back in the first century, but good news, still travel fast, possibly a little slower than now, but still fast. And uh, the kingdom of light has dawned in Galilee of the nations. so it's not surprising, isn't it, that we read in these verses uh, that the news spreads all over Syria, verse 24. Verse 25, people travel from all over to see Jesus. Those places there, the north, the south, the east, the west, everyone, well not everyone, but every people are coming from everywhere to hear and see the good news of the kingdom of God. Uh, and let's be clear, okay, as Jesus tours around Galilee, his ministry is a preaching and teaching ministry. He's come to preach the good news. But... His preaching and teaching is accompanied by some incredible miracles. People healed of every disease and sickness, pain removed, the demon possessed free from the bondage, the paralysed enabled to walk. And these incredible healings did three things. Firstly, they confirmed Jesus as the Messiah. They authenticated him. Secondly, they confirmed Jesus' message. They authenticate Jesus' message. And thirdly, they showed that the kingdom of God really was dawning. And what it would be like. Because these healings are a pointer. A pointer to life in God's kingdom. A life free of sickness and pain and death. A life free from all the consequences of living in a world distorted by sin. I mean, it doesn't take long, does it? As a member of a church family, as someone who lives in this world, to feel that pain. Pain of living in a world distorted by sin. The pain of living with those who've been taken, or living, carrying on, uh, without those who've been taken away from us. The pain of struggling on with a body that's failing us. The pain of family or broken relationships, family rejection. The pain of minds that don't work as they should. The kingdom that dawns with Jesus is a kingdom where these things are no more because it's a kingdom where sin has been dealt with. This kingdom is a kingdom of the life that we all long for. The kingdom dawns in the darkness of Galilee. The king was crowned in the darkness on the cross. Jesus dies in the darkness in order that we might come into the light. And on that cross, Jesus' rule was inaugurated. His kingship was acknowledged. Sin and death were defeated. And one day the king will return. And his rule and reign will be fully established and revealed in a perfect new world. And if you want to be part of that kingdom, the king says to you this morning, repent. Come. Follow me. And that won't be easy. But it's worth it. This king... The king who expects your allegiance is the king who loved people so much he laid aside his kingship and died on a cross. That's the sort of king I want to follow. A king that always has my best interests at heart. A king who can deliver on his kingdom promises. A king who sacrifices everything for me. That's the sort of king I can trust. There's also a challenge here in these verses, isn't there? For those of us who might be tempted not to see our need of repentance or to decline to follow Christ's teaching. You see, at this point in Matthew's gospel, many, many travel from all over to hear Jesus and see miracles. But when Jesus starts teaching what it looks to live, looks like to live in the kingdom of God, many go away again. felt too costly to submit one's life to someone else. And as a result, they remain in the darkness. They remain cut off from the blessings of the kingdom. Don't do that. Repent. Come. Follow me. For the king has come. And he will establish his kingdom. And it will be full of people who've recognised their darkness and been brought into the light. The kingdom of God has dawned. Let's pray. Repent, come, follow me. Our oh, loving Father, we thank you for the reminder of these commands. We thank you for the reminder of what it looks like to be in your kingdom. And so Father, we, we know how hard we find it to repent, to acknowledge our failings and our sin, and we know how hard we find it to, to follow you. And so we pray that you would, by your Spirit, work in our hearts, that we might continually repent and acknowledge Christ's saving work that brings us into your kingdom. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.